0: Good morning again. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to uh, 1 Peter. Uh, Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter today. I was expecting a little more excitement for that. (laughs) Come on. But to do that, we need to cover four verses, uh, 22 through 25. So we better get moving. Uh, Let me read those to you as we begin. And this word is, is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. Now, last week I did a fairly extensive review of verses 1 through 19, and then we covered verses 20 and 21, so I'm just going to hit some highlights today. I want to briefly remind us of the context uh, for today's message. And the first thing I want us to remember is who Peter is writing to. Remember the letter begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Peter is writing to uh, what he terms elect exiles. And in verse 3, he tells us what it means to be elect. Speaking of God, he writes, according to his, God's great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The elect are those who've received God's mercy. Those who God has chosen and caused to be born again. That includes Christians in Peter's day and in our day. Hopefully it includes most of us. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've received God's mercy. He's caused you to be born again, and you are therefore part of the elect, part of who Peter is writing to. But along with being elect, Peter also refers to his readers as exiles, those who are suffering from various trials and persecutions, from, from, from living in this fallen, sinful world, not their home. A world that that they don't uh, necessarily belong in long term. So Peter is writing to elect exiles. And in the first 12 verses, he seeks to encourage them and us. He wants to, to give us hope as we live as exiles in this fallen world. He wants us to rejoice and be grateful for all that God has done and will do for us, especially for our imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven. So that's how he begins in the first 12 verses. And then in verses uh, 13 through 20, 21, P- Peter gives three foundational commands. This is how the elect are to live as exiles in this world. First, in verse 13, he writes, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. live in hope. Hope is important. Then in verse 15, he adds, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holiness, live in holiness. Your father in heaven is holy, be holy. And finally, in verses 17 through 19, which I read already this morning, but I'm going to read again. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, and then what we read this morning, knowing that you are ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the command is live in fear. Again, not fear of condemnation for your sin, but we are to fear our Father's judgment of our sin, and we're to fear devaluing the sacrifice of Christ by our sin. Then following these three commands, in verses 20 and 21, Peter, for the purposes of holiness, seeks to increase both our fear of devaluing the sacrifice of Christ and our hope in God. And he does this by exalting Christ, by lifting him up. Because of who Christ is and what Christ has done, we have a reason to both fear devaluing his sacrifice and we have a reason to put our faith and our hope in God. So in verses 1 through 21, Peter has encouraged us. He's given us three foundational commands and he's exalted Christ seeking to increase our hope and our fear that we might live in holiness. And then beginning in verse 22 and continuing throughout the rest of the letter with joy and gratitude uh, for all Christ has done and with these foundational commands of hope and holiness and fear ringing in our ears, Peter gets specific about how, how we who are elect are to live as exiles in this world. This is what it looks like to live in hope and fear. This is how we are in this sinful world to be holy, as our Father in Heaven is holy. And interestingly, I don't. I think he he knows what he's doing. This Peter guy. Uh, the first thing Peter focuses on is our relationship, our relationships with one another. In verses twenty-two through twenty-five, ending that first chapter. He will command us to love one another. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the focus. Now, this could be applied to other people as well, but he's focusing in on the church, loving one another. Now, uh, Peter didn't invent this command. It's a theme throughout Scripture, loving your neighbor, loving one another. And Peter certainly... Uh, heard it time and time again from Jesus himself in John chapter 13, speaking to his disciples, including Peter. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Then in chapter 15, Jesus reiterates this command. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So Peter got the command directly from Jesus. And it certainly applies to all believers at all times. But I think Peter also knows, as we do, that those who are living as exiles, those who are facing suffering and persecution and trials, uh, need one another in a special way. We need the extra encouragement, support, and love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Elect, Elect exiles are to love elect exiles. We're to love one another. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I was experiencing uh, some great difficulty in my life. I'd share specifics, but uh, it involves other people, and I just can't do that. But the point is, I was suffering emotionally and spiritually, like I didn't think up until that point was even possible. And during that time, there were three things that sustained me. First, my relationship with God. My faith in His love and His promise uh, summarized, I think, in, in Romans 8:28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Second, I was sustained by my relationship with my, li- my wife. Even though she was experiencing the, s- the same sort of thing I was, the same difficulty, our love and support for one another was crucial. But along with God and my wife, there was a third thing that got me through this terrible time. There were godly men in my life who loved me, men who prayed for me, men who cared for me and counseled and comforted and consoled me. These men served as Christ's body in my life to me. They were God's hands and feet and mouth and ears in a great time of difficulty. They demonstrated God's love to me uh, in practical ways. And in so doing, they helped me through this terrible time. So loving one another is commanded at all times. But the need to demonstrate that love will often occur during times of great difficulty. I mean, we know that. It's when people in our lives or when we're we're experiencing great difficulty that we need that. And when people that, that we are aware of, when they're struggling, we know we need to give that to them. and Peter is writing to those who are experiencing uh, great difficulty. His desire is that they will be there for one another, that they will care for, encourage, support, uh, love one another. And so in this letter to elect exiles, he repeats, and I believe further explains Jesus's command to love one another. And as we examine this command, I pray that God's word will cause us to grow in our ability to love one another. I pray that uh, Bridges Church will be a place where God's people truly, uh, we're going to use the word earnestly and sincerely, Peter's going to use those words, will love one another. And to help us along the way, Peter begins with uh, the preparation to love one another. The preparation to love one another. That's the first point this morning. At the end of verse 22, Peter gives the command, repeats Jesus' command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We'll look at that shortly. But before before Peter gives this command, he tells us how we've been prepared to obey it. And this is crucial. Because many people are confused by the fact that God commands us his children, elect exiles that we are, he commands us to experience emotions. I've heard it said, I I don't have control over my emotions. How How can God command me to do something I have no control over? How can God command me to rejoice when I don't feel joy, to love when I don't feel love, to be grateful when I don't feel grateful, to hope when I don't feel hopeful to, f- uh, to fear Him, when I don't feel fear or to not fear other things, when I do. And in an effort to make it possible to obey these commands, we change the definitions of the words. We change them from emotions uh, to actions, because we can do actions on our own, specifically love. Love has been redefined as an action, not a feeling. I was talking to my daughter just just yesterday about a conference she went to on marriage and how uh, the, the, the guy leading it couldn't use the word love, really. In fact, he said, well, well, you have to love one another, but that's really a duty. I want to talk about cherishing one another. I think he missed the whole point of what love truly is. So we've sought to redefine it so we can obey it. So even if I don't feel love for this person... I can obey God's command by acting as if I love them. Now, I wouldn't go this far, but that's that's sort of hypocrisy in some ways. Especially if you say you love them. Doing loving things for them. And by this, I believe, uh, we believe we've obeyed the command to love them. Well, it might be okay, even good, to do loving things when you don't feel love. I'm not going to say don't do that, but don't call it love. And don't think you've obeyed the command to love. You may have done the best you could at the time, but God wants so much more for us. We are so satisfied with our outward actions, we forget that God wants our heart. God wants our emotions even more than our actions. Because it is out of our heart that our actions flow. And God has every right to command us to earnestly love with a pure heart. First of all, because he's God. And just because we can't do something doesn't mean he can't command us to do it. But second of all, because he's prepared our hearts to obey the command. Verse 22 Begins with these words, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Last week we mentioned that the, uh, the, the word purified, (hagizo) in the Greek, is related to the word holy, hagios in the Greek. Both words include the ideas of sanctification, of purification, of being cleansed. So we got got the meaning of the word purified, but what does Peter mean by having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love? I think we need to break this down into, into three parts. First, having purified your souls. Second, by your obedience to the truth. And third, for a sincere brotherly love. Let's take those in order. Having purified your souls. This is what's been done to prepare you to love one another. That word souls is the Greek word psyche, and it refers to the essence of who you are. We could translate it uh, your heart as well. The NIV translates it yourself. It's just you. And so Peter is saying that your soul, who you are, has been purified. It's been sanctified. It's been cleansed. Now, when, when he writes, having purified your souls, it sounds like he's saying that we purified our own souls, Like if I were to uh, say to my wife, having cooked dinner, dear, the assumption is that she cooked dinner, that she did it. So having purified your souls, the assumption is you you purified your souls. And that takes us to the second part of the verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. This is how your soul is purified. And again, this sounds like we purified our souls when we obeyed the truth. That our obedience to the truth caused our purification, the purification of our souls. And in a sense, that's true. But we have to ask, what truth is Peter talking about? And what does it mean to obey that truth? Well, in context, the truth that Peter is referring to would be the truth that he just wrote. So we back up to verse 18 again and read the truth. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways... Inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the Lamb of God, without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." I think it's clear that Peter is proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That by his precious blood, Jesus ransomed us from our futile ways. He bought us back. That Christ, and therefore God's plan of salvation, was known before the foundations of the world. That Christ took on human form. He became one of us. That he might become a sacrifice for us. That Christ enables and empowers us to believe and be reconciled to God. That God raised Christ from the dead, proving his victory over sin and death. And that God glorified Christ, showing his sacrifice was all sufficient. And through him, we too share in his glory. That's a summary of the truth that Peter is speaking of. And we call that truth, the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. So so we, we got the truth. Now what does it mean to obey that truth? Well, Peter tells us at the end of verse 21, so that your faith and hope are in God. Obeying the truth of the gospel is believing. It's putting your faith, your trust in that truth, in the finished work of Christ, hoping in God's plan for your salvation, not trusting in yourself for your salvation or your sanctification, but trusting fully in Christ. That's what it means to obey the truth of the gospel. And so it's it's by obedience to this truth, by putting your faith and hope in God, in Christ, that your soul is purified, that you're cleansed by God, that you're made holy. We see this also in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council. They were Discussing things about Jews and Gentiles mainly. How is this all working? And speaking of the Jews and Gentiles. Peter, same guy who wrote this letter. Says this. And he, God, made no distinction between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles. Cleansing their Gentiles hearts by faith. It is God who does the cleansing and purifying. But he does it in response to faith. To face. In the gospel, to obedience to the gospel. So now, I hope we understand what Peter means by these first two components, because these are just preliminary, really. The point is now. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, then, thirdly, he adds, for a sincere brotherly love. That's the focus. This is why our souls have been purified by our obedience to the truth. You could say this is why we're saved, at least here. Now, I would have thought Peter might have gone bigger and written, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, live in purity, live in holiness, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. But instead, he focuses in on one aspect of our life, sincere, brotherly love. What Peter is saying is this, since you have obeyed the truth of the gospel, which results in a pure soul, a pure heart, you can now experience sincere, true, brotherly love. God has prepared you. God has given you the ability to obey his command to love one another. Now, that phrase brotherly love is the Greek word Philadelphia, and it means uh, brotherly or family love, affection. It's a very emotional word. It's a feeling you have for those who are near and dear to you, and for believers, for those whose souls have been purified, our family includes our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Peter's saying, at least one of the reasons, the point I'm writing to you here, there are other reasons our souls have been purified, by the way, but this is the one that Peter's focusing on right here, is so that we will sincerely love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this highlights uh, uh, the great importance that God puts on loving one another in the body of Christ. I hope you understand. I mean, raise the flag. This is a big deal. You know, we tend to want to be all we can be with me. You know, we tend to focus on me, my relationship with God. Maybe I, maybe I can deal with my family. That's about as far as we often go. But God is saying, uh, he's calling us, commanding us to love one another. And and he's not redefining. He didn't redefine these words. It really means have this brotherly affection for one another. Because our salvation involves more than just ourselves or our relationship with God. It also includes our relationships with one another. God has saved us and purified us that we might have the ability to love one another. To care for, to encourage one another. When God saves us, he saves us into a family. And as part of that family, God has prepared our hearts that we might sincerely love one another. And again, that love is often needed or seen or comes forth in times of trials and suffering. So Peter has told us that our souls have been purified by obedience to the truth of the, of this of the gospel for this sincere brotherly love, that we've been prepared to love one another. And then the command comes I command you because I've prepared you. So at the end of verse 22, we get the command to love one another. I wanted to use the precept to love one another because the third is going to be a P2, but Christina said, mm, no. Just say what you mean instead of trying to use these words. But it's hard when the two two of them are peas, and that's really the ones you want, and then the third one just isn't. Anyway, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is, uh, along with the sincere brotherly love, this is the heart of what Peter's communicating in these verses. The rest of it, what's surrounding it is support, it's help. He's saying that the fact that your heart has been purified means that you are now prepared to sincerely love your brothers and sisters. But just because your soul has been purified for a sincere brotherly love doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean you will automatically practice sincere brotherly love. Thus the command comes. Thus I draw your attention to this. I've given you the ability, now you need to do it. I've prepared your heart. I've transformed your soul. Now love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In Christ, you've been given a pure heart. A heart that can love sincerely. So out of that pure heart, love one another earnestly. Here, Peter switches from brotherly love, Philadelphia, to uh, the the word agape. Agape one, earnestly. This is the, the word that the New Testament uses most often for love. For God's love for us, for our love for God, and for other things as well. Our love in relationship to one another. And by using both Philadelphia and agape, I think Peter is just saying we need to really love one another. Peter is saying, uh, believers in Christ, he's calling us to a sincere, earnest love for one another. Our love must be genuine. It must come from the heart. It must be real. It must have affection and emotion as well as action. We must give ourselves fully to loving one another. If you were with us uh, through our study of Romans, you might remember chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, where Paul gives a similar command. He writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, it took me three sermons to cover these two verses in Romans. And much of what we talked about, uh, I could have just pulled that out and redid it, and it would been this. It's it's very similar. Would apply much of what we talked about in Romans. He he even uses Philadelphia and agape both here, just like Peter did. Much of what we talked about then would apply uh, to Peter's command to earnestly love from a pure heart. But instead of focusing our time on defining what it means to love one another earnestly, which I think most of us get, I hope we're getting, we get what we're supposed to feel and do. My guess is even if you weren't here for Romans chapter 12, you've heard plenty of sermons on what it means or the importance of loving one another. So I'm going to assume that, that we understand that God's command to love one another earnestly, sincerely, uh, genuinely, I'm going to assume that we know this command to love one another is a, is a foundational part of the Christian life. However, the important thing is uh, for us that I'm going to try to deal with today is are we obeying it? Are we able to obey it? Do we obey it? We've been prepared, Peter says, For a sincere brotherly love, are we experiencing that? Do you, on a consistent basis, love your brothers and sisters in Christ earnestly, genuinely? Do you feel, and I mean that, love for them? Do you have an emotional love for them? And do those feelings translate into actions? Do you desire and truly seek what is best for them? Do you greatly give uh, them the best of you? Do you joyfully share your time with them? Do you gladly seek to comfort and encourage them when they're in need? Well, I don't know about you, but I sometimes struggle to feel and to do those things. I struggle to obey God's command to love others earnestly, even my brothers and sisters in Christ. Ah, sometimes especially my brothers. Did I say that out loud? Especially my brothers and sisters in Christ. I expect more of them sometimes, I guess, is the problem. And I think Peter understood our struggle. So in verses 23 through 25, he focuses on the power to love one another. We get the command to love, but we struggle to obey it. And so following the command to love one another earnestly from a pure heart... Peter continues, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Follow Peter's logic. The command is given, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How? Why? Uh, Since, uh, because you've been born again. Remember verse 3, Peter said, According to God's great mercy, He's caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By His mercy, and nothing else, nothing of you or me, God has caused us to experience new birth, a new life, to have a new life, to have our hearts purified, to be justified, to be declared righteous, To be given a, a living hope. A real, genuine hope in the eternal inheritance that He promised.